All right, welcome in FCS Tackle Football fans to another episode of the FCS Football Talk podcast presented by Hero Sports and BetMGM. I'm your host, Sam Herter, and I'm on Twitter at Sam Herter FCS, and we are beginning our off-season guest series on the podcast with Jamie Williams. He is a top 25 voter, national awards voter, uh, FCS Fans Nation podcast host, and also an, an uh, administrator for their Facebook page and also their uh, all their other social medias as well. Uh, excited to talk to Jamie, one of the most knowledgeable FCS guys out there. Jamie, what's up, man? How's your, uh, it's been about a, a little more than a month now since Frisco. So uh, what have you been up to this off season? Yeah, it's it's definitely been. Oh, it seems like it was a shorter time ago, but yeah, it's been about a month and a half now. It's kind of going to a couple hockey games, decompressing, but also kind of starting to look at what's going to happen in the FCS. Looking forward, um, went and did a, a one through one twenty eight for the end of last year, just to look at everybody's season and got a lot of good feedback on that. Um, of course, Montana fans are upset, but how about that? Montana was upset, but that's okay. Um, but that's been a it's been a good month and a half um looking forward to you know some vacations over the summer and uh you know hitting some podcasts doing some things for our 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 page uh more than happy glad to be joining you here today yeah what did you think of this last frisco trip to me i mean taking everything away from you know what what happens on the field but it just seems like the the day and the two, three days leading up to the actual game. I don't know. To me, Frisco keeps on getting more fun um, and fun. And that's, you know, a lot to do with what you guys are doing. You guys do some meetups, you know, whether it's tailgating, whether it's going out to some establishments, but what did you think of just the overall Frisco experience this last, uh, or this, this last year? Yeah, I had a great time this year. Uh, probably one of my, my top um, visits with the the admin group that we've traveled with over the last five or so years. Um, just really enjoyed seeing everybody that people like yourself and Kevin Marshall, people like that, that we normally see, but then we got to meet a lot of new people too. I mean, media and otherwise got to meet Zach from the blue bloods and uh, got to meet the FCS triumvirate guys. So it was just really cool again. So just to meet up with a bunch of new people, I thought this South Dakota state Jack rabbit illustrated guys did an awesome tailgate out there. Uh, NDSU fans showed up as, as usual just, you know, the atmosphere of being around the bars with those two specific fan bases, you know, the people are very similar in the Dakotas. They just happen to be wearing green or blue. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed that. And I was more than happy with the turnout by specifically South Dakota state. I think that fan base was amped up. Yeah. And I've said before that how the national title game plays out that kind of sets the narrative for the off season and the preseason going into, into the next season. And so just with how South Dakota state took it to the bison coupled with how many guys they have coming back. I mean, really you look at South Dakota state and uh, you know, a few losses here or there and the losses are you know pretty big Tucker craft, Reese Winkleman, Caleb Sanders. Like those are some, some stalwart players right there. But you know, other than that, you know, South Dakota state, you know, for the most part brings, brings everyone back. We, uh, besides those few guys, obviously a new head coach as well with, with coach Rogers, but just with how they beat NDSU and then with, with the guys they have coming back, it does kind of seem like this is, you know, a kind of team a versus the field. And we've seen this a lot where it's usually been NDSU versus the field or NDSU and another team versus the field. But now it does especially seem like it is South Dakota state versus the field in 2023. Do you, do you, kind of feel the same way there it, it does uh 
to a certain degree just because of all that talent coming back from a team that really just dominated everybody they played, and they gave Iowa everything that they could handle. That Iowa offense couldn't do anything, and, you know, this Iowa defense was phenomenal and held them down. But against FCS competition, it wasn't even close. And, you know, like you said, they you, you named off a few solid players that they lose. And I don't want to overlook how much coaching turnover they have. I do like from the head position that they did hire from within, but they did have a lot of their coaches poached. And sometimes that leads to a little incontinuity going into the next year, but I don't really think it's going to impact them a lot. I really do feel like it's going to be them versus the field. And I think we're going to find out early whether that's true or not. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a, relatively I tweeted this out I don't have the exact ages um, in front of me but you know coach Rogers played he played at South Dakota State I think in the late 2000s uh Zach Lujan the offensive coordinator he was a quarterback for them I think his senior year was 2016 uh coach Bobbitt is their new defensive coordinator now he also played linebacker for South Dakota State around 2015 2016 and so all of these guys are I think Coach Coach Rogers is over 30 years old, but not by much. And then the other two coordinators are, I think, still right around 30 years old. So it's it's a relatively young coaching staff, but they have so much experience coming back. All of their tough games. That was a, a kind of a big storyline heading into last season. You looked at South Dakota State and all of the tough road games they had. They had, and now you know with the Missouri Valley schedule, they kind of flip flop every year. And now all those tough games are at home, and so UND, Northern Iowa, NDSU, all of those games are at home for South Dakota State. You know, non-conference. There's a big A against Montana State, but that's uh, you know that biggie is uh, is at home. There's a non-D1 in there as well, which which isn't ideal. But you just look at their schedule, and you kind of kind of I guess hope that South Dakota State did have an FBS opponent on there, just because. You know, we could be talking about if South Dakota State did go undefeated, wins a national title, beats an FBS opponent. You know, then that conversation maybe starts of, you know, where where that South Dakota State team could potentially, you know, stack up against past FCS national champions. But it will be it will be interesting, too, to see how quickly South Dakota State kind of starts to take a heel turn and their fan base starts <laughs> to take a heel turn. I mean, if they do run through the FCS, go undefeated, win an, another national title. Right now, I think everyone around the FCS kind of, they like South Dakota State, they respect them, they like the fans, they like engaging with the fans, but you know, if South Dakota State keeps on winning, it'll be interesting to see how quickly they, they start to turn heel like NDSU did in the early 2010s. Oh, that heel turn's coming quick, especially if they run through this year and just like hot knife through butter, it, it'll happen this year. Uh, you know, everybody wants to see somebody new win and everybody's hyped up because they knocked off and slayed the giant and didn't just slay them. They just obliterated them twice. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, that heel turn will come quickly and everybody will be looking for that next new team. Who's going to be the one to knock them off of the pedestal. And, uh, you know, that, that's what makes it fun. And back to the coaching, like you mentioned, all the young coaches and where and they all came from South Dakota state, you know, coaching turnover always concerns me, but all of those coaches played for Stig. So Stig's influence is still on that team. It's not going to be Stig. I'm sure he's going to be around the program. So I think that's kind of something that something to watch is to see how, how they ease into a, a new coaching staff. But I think with all of the alumni, so to speak, on the coaching staff, I, I don't see the turmoil that you might see for other – that you might could see with other teams that lose their coach and uh, move on uh, like – you know, Sac, Sac State and uh, Weaver State, who both promoted from within, but um, it's a little bit different. Yeah, and I don't 
if anything, that could be just a, an added motivator uh, is, you know, doing it for the, we have to step up, you know, our, our game in, in the off season, you know, that could be the player's mindset of um, instead of kind of being comfortable, you know, while we have everyone back, our head coach is back, you know, let's just do what we just do what we need to do in the off season. And we'll be fine now with, with the new head coach, maybe that pushes the urgency up a little bit to get even better in the off season. And I think too, just the fact that South Dakota state had, they've had multiple guys, you know, the big ones are the two offensive linemen in Greenfield and McCormick, and then the Yankee twins uh, as well. Those are four guys that they've had a couple of others that are starters too, but those are four really key guys that all were recognized during senior day. And then afterwards, sometime in the playoffs for the Yankee twins, they announced it after the title game, they all decided to come back for their sixth year, their extra year of eligibility uh, due to the, the COVID year. And so I think just having those guys coming back, that maybe adds even more motivation that, you know, they, they do want to go out, you know, on top once again. And, and on the flip side, you know, it's kind of the opposite happening with, with North Dakota State a little bit where, you know, South Dakota State, they haven't lost really any guys to the transfer portal. And not only that, they're, they're bringing guys back that we thought that maybe they were going to lose, uh, like I mentioned, coming back for their six years. On the other side, you have North Dakota State where we already know about the handful of guys that enter the transfer portal before the playoff run. Uh, but since the title game, uh, Dom Jones, who would have been the starting safety, Courtney Eubanks, returning starting cornerback, they entered uh, the transfer portal. And then I think it was uh, like a week or two weeks later, Kobe Johnson, the leading rusher for North Dakota State, he enters the transfer portal. And so it was interesting to see the the reaction on social media because – you know, I, I tried my best to track all these FCS transfers and, you know, I see North Carolina A&T, I see Incarnate Word, I see, uh, you know, a lot of teams having key guys leave, you know, starting starting players leave. But when it happens to NDSU, then all of a sudden it's, you know, what's going on in Fargo? Is there a culture problem? Does none of these players like Mad Ants? And I don't, that, that could be the case. I, that also could not be the case. You know, I don't know, but it is interesting where a lot of teams are getting kind of pillaged by the transfer portal. But once it happens to NDSU, then that kind of raises, you know, the alarm bells of, you know, what's going on in Fargo. Yeah. And I, I think just because it is, it's NDSU and, and they've always been on top and they always reload. Well, we're really going to see, can they reload because they lost their entire secondary to either the transfer portal or like to see uh, graduation. So they're going to have, a completely retooled defense that wasn't the normal North Dakota state defense that you have been able to count on for the last decade. So we'll see if they can kind of reset that. I know I've seen some whispers of, Oh, are they leaving because they might be able to move up and not be eligible and all this stuff. But I, I haven't, you know, that that's just fan theory at this point. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see if they can, do their normal NDSU rebuild because even on the offensive side, like you said with Kobe Johnson, Cody Mock going to the NFL is probably a potential first round pick, early second round pick. Offensive line should still be okay, but I just don't see that high powered offense that they used to have just downhill. They would be able to support it with the pass and this, for whatever reason, towards the end of the season, the pass just went away. So I, I think they're going into the season with a lot of question marks and we'll see how much of it they can answer. Are they really still the number two team behind South Dakota state or are they going to be a team that finally falls off a little bit? Yeah, it, it does make you wonder and I'm doubtful, you know, this is it, but it does make you wonder, you know, cause we talked about it all the time, you know, it, it's just so hard to see the NDSU train 
getting derailed and slowing down. And maybe, you know, South Dakota state has, you know, overtaken uh, the, the bison now, but, you know, it's still kind of always expected, you know, how, what scenario is out there where all of a sudden NDSU loses in the quarterfinals and is just doesn't make the national championship game for a few years. You know, is is this how it happens is, uh, you know, a couple of transfers out, you know, maybe quarterback play is pretty good, but not great. And, you know, all of a sudden that just kind of slowly makes things, you know, go start going in the other direction at the same time. I talked about it on my last podcast a month ago that, you know, NDSC was down a lot of bodies in the playoffs and they still ended up winning uh, or, or advancing all the way to the, uh, to the championship game, uh, beating a, a really good incarnate word team. And so I don't know, from your perspective, you vote, uh, you, you look ahead, uh, you rank all the teams. Is it, is it okay to, to doubt NDSU a little bit going into the 2023 season, or is it still kind of, well, doubt the bison against your own peril. You know, I guess they, they, they you know, they always seem to to be able to reload and respond. So how, how do you kind of view NDSU still several months out of, out of the season? Yeah. I mean, at this point it, it's okay to doubt them, but like you said, it's doubt them at your own peril. I mean, just thinking about going into next year, I, I do see them probably just out of nothing but respect and the talent that they still do have. Don't forget there's still talent coming back on, on both sides of the football. I'll probably have them at number three. I think, I think Montana state looks like the number two team quote unquote on paper right now, but NDSU I'll have them easily in my top five coming into the year and and let their play dictate which way they go. Yeah. And speaking of preseason doubting, I want to touch on incarnate word a little bit because they last year going into last season, you know, a lot of people looked at, UIW lost their head coach, lost their star quarterback, and, you know, didn't expect them to do a whole lot. And it's kind of the, the same case this year, loses their their head coach, uh, loses star quarterback. And, you know, again, now the question is, well, they they answered the doubters this last season. They they got even better. Now they, it's they're kind of, like I said, kind of in the same situation again. Do we give them the benefit of the doubt or do we look at their losses and say, okay, now, now we think they aren't going to be as good because it's not just the head coach. It's not just, uh, you know, Lindsey Scott, star quarterback, uh, 12 transfers have, have gone to the FBS now, seven of which followed coach Kenny to Texas state. Uh, and so it goes far beyond, you know, just, just quarterback, you know, all all, all, I think it's all five-star and offensive linemen, tackles leader, receiving leaders, leading rusher. That's a lot of production gone. So how do you view UIW going into the next season? Do you do you give the, be- the benefit of the doubt because they proved us long last year? Or is it, okay, this this might be the year where they don't they aren't as good as the previous season? Uh, I'm definitely a little more forgiving this year because, I mean, they burned me last year. I uh, thought when Morris left and Cameron Ward leaves and – I thought Lindsey Scott was decent, but not, uh, you know, world breaking. And he happened to be world breaking and was phenomenal. Um, we'll see with Calzada um, transfer, I believe, from Auburn. I know he's got some shoulder issues, but there's got to be talent there if you're, you know, a P5 guy. But like you said, the entire offensive line went with with um, Coach Kenny and Coach Shoemaker. So um, that's going to be tough to replace. And that team was more balanced than it looked, but they do, again, lose their two leading rushers as well, uh, including Lindsey Scott. But they've had a lot of young production there. Um, again, pieces to build on on the uh, on the defense. Uh, got a lot of transfers out in there. 
Um, again, it's, it's going to be kind of a wait and see, but I'm a little bit more optimistic on them this year than I was coming into last year, just because of the way they did uh, retool it. And again, uh, it, it's kind of a theme with the, the coaches uh, turnover this year as they promoted from within with it as well with the, with an incarnate word guy. Yeah. It does seem like a lot of their transfers coming in are on the defensive side of the football. They got a defensive lineman from Michigan state, uh, a linebacker from Texas tech, uh, also a uh, defensive back from Iowa state, some power five transfers on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, I, I do think Calzada, Zach Calzada, he's the quarterback. Uh, like you said, he is coming from Auburn, uh, but he played one year at Auburn. I don't, I don't know if he played a whole lot because he did have that injury, but uh, originally he was at, I believe it was Texas A&M. Um, and he started 10 games a couple of years ago. He actually beat Alabama and put up some, some big numbers that season. And so I'm not too worried about, I think defense, there the, will still be solid. I'm not worried about the passing game. Uh, they'll just have, you know, some guys there that can step up at wide receiver. I'm a bit more concerned about the running game because like you said, Jamie, they were so balanced and they had such a great rushing attack on top of the passing attack where with, uh, you know, you're going to have to find some more production from the running back position, some new, uh, some new offense alignment coming in as well. They did get a, get a, a transfer offense alignment from USC. And so, I mean, they're bringing in some, some big names. We'll just see how much it gels. And, you know, I want to touch on one more team, uh, kind of a 500 foot overlook. And that's a, the, the last team that made the semifinals, uh, a team that we're both high on because you said you might have them number two. Uh, I do have them number two right now. That is Montana state. Uh, it's, I don't know. They're, they're kind of hard to gauge because you go back to the 2021 season and they beat a South Dakota state team in the semifinals. That was really, really talented. Uh, then you look at this last year in the playoffs. I mean, William and Mary was looking really good and Montana state rolled them. Weber state was looking really good as well in Montana state beat them pretty decisively. The final score was, I, I think a one or two possession game, but Montana state was up by like four touchdowns in that game. Yep. But then again, you know, they, they, they face a uh, South Dakota state team, kind of like what happened against NDSU the previous year, you know, just didn't compete all that well. And so is, is Montana state getting there? Are they close or are the last two losses in the playoffs? Is that an indicator to you that, okay, maybe they aren't actually that close to winning a national title. How do you view the Bobcat, uh, the Bobcats? I, I view them as really close. I, I think over the last two years, one, one thing that has kind of hurt them, honestly, is they were young. And when you're, you know, coming into college, you got to learn, kind of how to play that big boy game in the playoffs. And and they've kind of fallen short to the two Dakota schools the last two years. I know Alfonso left, but they still have a lot, you know, on that run game around on that side of the ball. They lost their top two uh, defensive players, in my opinion, Dakota and Callahan O'Reilly. But right behind them with a lot of good young guys. You know, they still have touchdown time. They still have Chambers, I believe. So mm-hmm. I think this team is one that's ready to take that next step and really compete. And like we talked about South Coast State, we're going to find out early because they play each other. So I, I think I'm, we're going to be looking at number one versus number two. Brett Vegan, you know, seems to be the guy for them. Um, and he's really brought the profile up of, of that program. So I see them as, as a team on the rise. I, I, I just think now that some of those younger guys have a couple of years under their belt and, you know, I, they've had that leadership that they've been able to grow from, from guys like Troy Anderson, who's had an excellent rookie year in the NFL. You know, they saw how, how he, how he did it. Now those guys can kind of put that into action. And as they're, you know, redshirt sophomores and juniors, I I think they're ready to uh, dominate 
the big sky and, and, and see if they can knock off the big boys. Right. Yeah. I think the, with how they lost at South Dakota state, maybe that does make it fair to, to question how far they can go. But I think if you look at the season as a whole for Montana state, I think that was an incredibly impressive season for, for the Bobcats because last year at this time we looked at how many seniors they lost and we kind of wondered, you know, how far of a step back they can get. And with all the new names, all the new starters for them to have a great season. And then not only that, but also to bring back a majority of those guys, especially in the trenches, they started basically all except for maybe one or two spots, but all of their starting offensive linemen and defensive linemen were either sophomores or freshmen. And so you expect them to get one year, one year better, one year bigger and stronger uh, because they have been outmatched in the trenches in their last two playoff losses. The, The one concern for me is defensively. And also just, you know, you can be, a great Russian attack during the season, but at some point you're going to have to be balanced in the playoffs coupled with their, their road schedule. They go to South Dakota state, go to Weber state, Sac state, Idaho, and Montana. Those are all road games uh, as well for Montana state. And so they're going to have to, but I mean, at the same time, we were looking at, uh, like I mentioned, we were looking at South Dakota state's road schedule going into this last season. And um, they, they got through that just fine. And so it will be interesting to see, you know, Montana State, if they can uh, replicate last season and get back to the national title game, because I, you know, I saw some Montana State fans tweeting, well, during during this last last year's national title trip that it, you know it finally hit them that you know they weren't going to be competing in the national title game, and uh, they they certainly want to get back there, and that's a, a really good fan base for Montana State. Uh, you know, wanted to touch on some coaching changes. Uh, you have Wofford, Ar- Arkansas, Pine Bluff, North Alabama, Charleston Southern, VMI, the Citadel. Towson, Lamar, Northern Colorado, Lehigh, Houston Christian, Idaho State, Texas A&M Commerce, Delaware State, Dayton, Bethune-Cookman, Central Connecticut State, Incarnate Word, Cal Poly, Jackson State, Weber State, Mississippi Valley State, Sacramento State, Missouri State, North Carolina A&T, and South Dakota State. I mean, those are some some pretty heavy hitters, especially when you look at Jackson State, Weber State, Sac State, South Dakota State. Which one in your mind – uh, is the is the biggest head coaching change uh, of that group that could not even necessarily the, the the biggest name, but one that could impact where a program goes from here. I'm gonna go with like a lot of teams promoted from within, which was kind of a theme. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm concerned about Sac State, Weber State, just because Taylor and Hill both were special. Um, one a little off the board, I like the hire of, of uh, Pete Shinnick at Towson. I think Rob Ambrose. Good coach, a little abrasive. I, I think Shinnick coming in with a lot of success. Is that some and, – and to be honest, in the CAA, you know, there's going to be opportunity for another team to step up behind a William & Mary and a Delaware and potentially a Villanova, New Hampshire. There's going to be lots of good teams, but no great teams in my opinion. Um, so Pete Shinnick at Towson is really intriguing to me. Um, also want to see if uh, – the new coach at, at the Citadel can uh, elevate them and in the SoCon as well as replacing Josh Conklin at Wofford. So I just kind of go a little bit more than just the oh, well, pro coach prime is gone and from, from within all the portal that they lost. But, but yeah, Pete Shinnick's the, the one I'll be watching. Yeah. You mentioned the, the CAA and we'll, we'll touch on the, the flow deal uh, to end, but I wanted to touch on uh, the CAA's reputation going into this year uh, because I think what happens in the playoffs that also just overall shapes kind of the narratives and uh, I guess reputations 
of each conference and the CAA was, in my opinion, did not perform well at all in the playoffs. You had Elon, they lost big to Furman in the first round. Uh, Delaware lost pretty big to South Dakota state in the second round. Holy cross ran all, ran all over New Hampshire. That was in the second round. Uh, Richmond, you know, probably had the, the, maybe, I don't know, maybe the best uh, playoff performance. They lost a close one at Sac state in the second round. That was a 50, 50 game. William and Mary made it the farthest. Uh, they made it to the quarterfinals, but they basically no showed at Montana state. And so, you know, usually how you do, we've seen it with the SoCon, uh, you know, going back to the mid 2010s, but how you perform in the playoffs, that kind of sets the precedent for the upcoming year, where you're ranked, how many teams you get in. So is this a situation where even if you are seven and four, in the CAA, that's no longer a lock to make the playoffs just based off of this last year. Do you think that's fair? Or where do you see uh, kind of the the top 25 voters, but also the playoff committee viewing the CAA after how they performed in this last year's playoff? Yeah, was the, the point I made at the playoffs with the CAA is every team lost where they should have for the most part. Uh, but, you know, William & Mary just getting just completely trounced, puts, puts a bad stain on their name, but they're still going to be good. But with the loss of JMU from the CAA, you've got a lot of good, not great teams. So you're looking at probably quarterfinals at best teams. So, yeah, seven and four, while in the CAA in the past was, oh, yeah, you're, you're probably in. It's going to be looked at a little bit harder when you get down to that bubble, especially because they continue to play the, the NEC and the Patriot League. And no disrespect for those teams, especially, you know, Patriot League's had a couple of excellent teams here the last couple of years. But the CAA has tried to go with quantity over quality here recently in their uh, their ads to try to replace what JMU gave them. JMU elevated that conference just because they were always in the national title hunt, but really everybody else was in the hunt for a quarters. But, and if they really hit it, maybe a semifinals like Delaware's has been able to do, because this isn't the same CAA that we had in the early you know, 2000 to 2012-ish. Uh, so I, I think this, the CAA has kind of regressed a little bit. It's still a good conference. It's just not great like the Missouri Valley and the Big Sky have been. Yeah. And what is it now? 15 members? I think yeah, I think CAA it's 15. <laughs> yeah, Adding so that, Campbell and A&T. Yep. Yep. And so that's just going to add, you know, an unbalanced unbalanced scheduling uh, we see that in the big sky but it's going to happen even more in the CAA with that many members and you just look at William and Mary and they avoid in their conference schedule they avoid Delaware New Hampshire and Rhode Island and so two of those three are playoff teams and Rhode Island was, was right on the cusp there they have been right on the cusp the last couple of years of making the playoffs uh, and you know to I, I yeah like you said I think the CAA is still solid you know I won't consider them a, a power conference anymore and they're honestly one of the one of the more fun conferences to watch because it seems like every week there is at least two or three games that are just wild finishes or a crazy comeback. And unfortunately, not many people uh, can see those games because uh, because of Flow Sports, which uh, the CAA re-upped with for another handful of seasons. I guess what was your takeaway? What was your reaction when it became pretty clear that uh, you know the the new media partnership? Uh, with with CAA is just going to be an extension on the football side with, with flow sports. Yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. Um, and I think one thing that people need to realize is the productions of those games are based off of the schools. So flow, yes, has to have its connectivity and I know it drops some fees and whatnot, 
But to me, the problem with Flow is its price point, and then that's the only place you go to see CAA. Everybody else has ESPN Plus, so they're on an island by themselves because there's like, oh, well, I remember schools like this deal. Well, it's not for the fans. It doesn't work for the fans. And I know they said they were going to increase the the um, production standards of you know, especially around replay, and they like having linear options for their teams which makes a little bit of sense out here in the East Coast because you do have your NBC Sports regionals in Northeast and down South and in you know Washington, so they can make those deals to get on TV. And they have a, C, a CBS Sports Network deal for basketball. So my question to the commissioner in the press conference was, well, what about a, a, a football game of the week? And he said that wasn't in the plans. Like you need to get your programs out in front of you or you're just all you are to people is a stat line. And I think that's going to start hurting the CAA because, like you said, William & Mary avoids Delaware and New Hampshire. So you look at them and say, yeah, they're 11-1, and one, but they didn't play two of the three best teams. And you kind of got that in the big sky a little bit for Sacramento State. It's like, so it's going to hold them down because I think William & Mary is the best team in the, in the CAA still. I think they're building something there. But without people able to lay eyes on them, you don't get that nuance like, oh, that's what happened. You see, oh, here's the stat line, and, and that's it because flow's too expensive by itself, and the schools don't put enough into their production quality. Uh, so as a joint venture, it just, to me, it fails. Yeah, I mean, I I do subscribe to flow uh, every football season, and and so I watch it, but I was, I was still disappointed in – the decision just because more so from a convenience standpoint, I like having, you know, split screens uh, and, and Apple TV allows you to split screens. And so I always have to have, you know, on, on the, on the big screen, you got, you know, these four games where I always have to grab like a, a smaller TV just to watch <laughs> the A games because I, I can't split in. So it is, I guess it is, you know, cost. It's not terribly expensive, but at the same time, it's, you know, you don't want to, everyone has so everyone has so many subscriptions now that you know adding on one more is is never ideal and yeah the 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 broadcast production quality is isn't that great but there's some pretty bad ones too uh, on espn plus because all of these are produced by the school um and it, it just seemed like the caa and a lot of people will will rag on the caa conference office and the commissioner and say they're out of touch but you don't do this deal if if no school in your conference likes it and so uh, i know when they first did it with flow sports uh, the original deal i think james madison was the only school that opposed it i don't know if it was unanimous support this time around or maybe there was three schools that that didn't like it but if majority like it uh, then then you're going to go with it uh you know i i did hear i'm not reporting this and you know as fact i did hear that it is uh, $40 million over four years. Um, uh, and so I don't know how that is all dispersed to the schools, how much is di- dispersed to the conferences or to the conference office and, and stuff like that. But it seems like maybe they, they chased the bag uh, a little bit. Uh, but also I, it did seem like they valued local linear TV options more so than national streaming access. And, and, and one source told me that uh, basically being ESPN plus you can go on linear networks, but they kind of limit your opportunities to do so. Uh, Flow sports allows them to, to get on more homes, especially, you know, on the East coast where there's some, some big markets, which is huge for, you know, additional revenue compared to ESPN uh, where it's, it's a fraction of the rights fees and severely limits the amount of linear broadcasts allowed. And so uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll get someone on the podcast to talk about how they balanced what the fans want versus, 
you know, getting more money from it. But uh, I just know there's a lot of FCS fans and even CAA fans that don't subscribe to Flow Sports, so they don't exactly know what is going on a whole lot. Yeah, it, it's it's tough, and, and it did seem like it was fairly unanimous listening to um, Commissioner D'Antonio and uh, the the group speak about the the deal. I, I just I just wish that it would be a little bit more accessible. Um, like you said, it's, it's, it's good for the institutions. It's good for the presidents and ADs. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, for from a fan standpoint, it's, it's not as good. And that's just what we have to deal with to be able to um, see CAA games. Luckily for me, I got three or four of them within a, a couple hour drive. So if I want to go to a game, you know, and see them, I can go see them live. Yep. Yep. So last thing then uh, you, you, like you mentioned at the top, you, you come out with your uh, one, th- I believe it's 128 now teams. So you'd come out with your one through 28 rankings. When should fans uh, expect that to come out? Yeah, I would look for that probably early August uh, coming into next season. Got to do a little bit uh, research. I like, I like to, you know, take the feedback and do more research than the year before it was pretty well received this past year. Uh, obviously I had some, some misses in there from the original where I would have, you know, after looking at it a little deeper, would have changed some things up. But, you know, I was I was happy with how it started. I'm happy with how I, it came out when I did one through 128 at the end of the season. So, yeah, as we get through in July and August, I'll start really putting that together and really focusing on it. And it'll be out um, hopefully about a month before the season so people have uh, something to complain about. Yeah, I got to, you know, really – really upset people when they when they're ranked 70th and they really should be 63rd that really gets the the juices flowing for for people where they're at right that's right you know i I had somebody say that i was biased against the big sky so not only does sam herter hate your team jamie williams hates your conference right there (laughs) there you go you got the east coast bias uh coming coming on your end i guess so uh well thank you sir Uh, i appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking some fcs uh during what Hopefully it's a quick off season, but you know, it'll probably drag along. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking FCS. No problem. Thanks for having me, Sam. You bet. Thank you everyone for listening and I'll catch you guys on the flippity flip. Flippity flip.